Welcome. Good morning. Who was that? Was that you? Oh, that's okay. I can always count on you, Katie. <laughs> you think that was me? No way. Um, it's good to be with you guys. Um, uh, you can have a little bit of energy in church, you know. I think Jesus loves um, our energy. He loves our excitement. In fact, I think just when we were uh, worship, I'm just creating space here for me. Um, just, a, just a sense that, that the Lord wants to um, call us to pray against the spirit of depletion this morning. Um, uh, I mean, just naturally, I think as people, um, typically on Sundays in the way that our culture works, we see it as like the end of our week, you know? So like we've come here and we're like emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally drained. But I made it hopefully, to church on Sunday. Like that kind of, you know, culture war that we have going on. Um, and, and I just have a sense that, that, that God actually wants to flip our mentality a little bit and to see this space as the beginning of your week. To come to this place refreshed, come to this place whole, come to this place with great expectation, not just to kind of just stumble in the doors and be like, man, am I tired? You know, that kind of thing. Like, but to come in here and feel like, wow, like, I get, we get to worship, I get to see my family, um, and, and to see this space is, is a time to start our week right. Are you with me on that? I want to pray for that. I want to pray into that for you. I don't, I mean, um, again, just, just guessing about our culture and guessing about the way my life works, and um, oftentimes, oftentimes our time together on Sundays could seem to get the least of me, oftentimes, and I, and I, I just want to correct to stand here and, and almost repent in a way to say, no, I feel like I feel like this should be the place where not only the pastor here, but just also as a, as a family member in our community, man, I want to give my best to you, and I want to be fully present. So I guess I'm saying this to say I'm um, somewhat confessing and asking for forgiveness, but also um, maybe I'm not the only one. So I want to pray against the spirit of depletion right now and pray for replenishment or replenishment. Is that a word? Replenish. Great. Yes. <laughs> Yay, English. I've always had a hard time with the English language. It's not my first. It's uh, Hebrew is my first language. So let, let's, let's just pray. Let's pray. Shalom. Yes. Let's pray for some shalom in this place. Uh, Lord, we um, come to you um, if we need to repent or if we need to confess something inside of us that may be holding us back from being fully present with you this morning, we want to do so. Um, we want this to be a place where we can be open, where we can be honest, uh, where we don't have to pretend, but we also want to step into this place recognizing that you have something for us, that we're, that we're standing in your presence. And where we, if we are in your presence, we are made whole. Uh, and you see us that way. So God, I pray against the spirit of depletion in this, in this room right now, um, I pray that even as we continue to, to be the church you've called us to be in weeks to come, but specifically for right now, Lord, I pray that you would just breathe a fresh air here in this room, that your spirit would fill us anew, that you'd give us energy, you'd give us excitement, you'd give us what we need today, because today is the day that you've given us. There's no other moment, there's no other place that we can be other than this place right now. And so we want to be good stewards of this time and trust that you have something for us. So, Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, 
We are in week two of a conversation that we're calling the Living Stones, and not the Rolling Stones, just Living Stones. And, and, and for us, I think my heart and, and my passion for this time um, is a conviction that Jesus actually calls his followers to be a priesthood, right? Um, he, he, in fact, I would argue that, that Jesus seemed to believe that the effectiveness of the church today completely hinges on this idea of priesthood of all believers. That, that Jesus never intended a community like this or any type of church, um, no matter the size, whether it's a big church or a small church, to be hinged on a few professional people that do ministry or paid clergy or anything like that. I really believe that the church, in order to move forward and to be salt and light in the world today, completely changes and it really hinges on the effectiveness of this idea. Can we really grasp what the priesthood of all believers is? And not only just to believe it, but also to like live in it. I just think this is Jesus's plan for the church. And we, last week we talked about, we kind of introduced this idea. So if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast because a lot of what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks kind of will go back to that. It's really a theology of priest, priesthood of all believers. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But we spent time last week in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and I just look at this one verse and we'll have it on the screen where Peter um, is, is talking to the church and he says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so what we're we're seeing here, and what Peter is, we have to understand, Peter is the guy that Jesus handed the church to. So Jesus was like, okay, I'm leaving, I'm going to heaven, peace out. Peter, you're in charge. And so this is Peter's message to the church. We have to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. We are a holy priesthood. And so Peter's big idea here and what we're basing our big idea on this conversation is that if you follow Jesus, then you are a priest or a priestess. This is who we are. This is our identity. If you follow Jesus, you are qualified, you're equipped, and you're called to live in your new identity. And so this this is Peter's heart. This is his vision for the church. And that's what's so beautiful as a place like this. Like when we talk about our vision for the church, when I talk about, we talk about making disciples, this is what we're talking about. You fully stepping into your new identity to leave what was old about you before you met Jesus. Things that were true about you in the past are no longer true about you today. And so I think when we talk about Jesus, this is Jesus's vision. Peter is echoing the words of Jesus, and he gets it from Matthew 28, 19, a passage that you're all very familiar with in the, in the Great uh, Commission, where Jesus says, Go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I think we can make the mistake, and maybe you, I'm sure you've heard a pastor preach about this message before I've preached about it several times. And we can often just look at this and be like, this is a mandate. Jesus said, go. Yes, he did. But what I think fascinating about this passage is that Jesus didn't just give us a mandate to go. He actually gave us a strategy to live, right? He, he said, go. And then what did he say? Well, baptize people. Teach people about me. Share the gospel. And we can just be people that just go places. But Jesus says, well, as, as you go, live a certain way. Be a certain kind of person as you go. And so he didn't just give us a mandate, he gave us a strategy. And I think that strategy is priesthood. It's to live a life where ministry is your priority 
and everything else is secondary. So wherever it is that you find yourself in any situation, in any circumstance that you may be up against, Jesus says, stand in the reality in the exact position that you are a priest or a priestess. This is who you are. Don't live in any other reality other than that. So Jesus is very gracious. <laughs> He's very kind. He doesn't just throw us out to the wolves and be like, I told you everything, go figure it out. He, he, he leaves us his spirit to figure this stuff out, to live in community with one another. And so when Jesus gave the Great Commission, I find it interesting that I mentioned this last week. He didn't just huddle together all like the most influential priests, uh, religious leaders in the community and say, okay, let's get together. Let me just tell you guys who you are. So go do this stuff and make sure you like just, you know. He huddled, he huddled uh, fishermen together. He had a zealot, a tax collector, and a thief. These were his people. No paid clergy at all. <laughs> and he says, go and do this stuff. And, and, and so this is, this is what Jesus would say to the church today. In fact, I think he would throw a conference and not invite any pastors to it. He'd be like, you guys are annoying. <laughs> Let me like talk to the people. Let me talk to the people that are actually, you know, around uh, people that don't know me. And maybe there are people environments already that I want to use, right? And so Peter says to the church, non-paid clergy, you are a living stone. Now that Jesus came, he gave you his spirit and there's no reason He's talking to a Jewish community. So he's like, there's no reason for you to even think that you need to build altars anymore to remember who God is. You are the altar. You are the living stone. So anytime anybody interacts with you, they will see Jesus. So go and live in your new identity. So our lives, the good news is, now count for something, right? They, they now have purpose. They now have great meaning. And anytime any, I act with, interact with anybody, I hope, that person would be like, see, I see Christ resurrected in Mike. And he, he, he loves Jesus. He's not perfect. He's broken. <laughs> He's got issues. But man, does he love Jesus. And that's, that's what I hope people would say about you too. And, and it's important for us to, to be aware in that, right? Is that how people experience Mike? Is that... Is that what people see in me? Do they see Jesus? Or they just see a normal average Joe that could be grumpy and cranky and stressed out and sleep deprived or whatever. Whatever it may be. So, so, so the encouragement from Peter here is what? You're best off living in your new self. Your old self gets you nowhere. <laughs> that, that's like self-sabotaging self, right? Like live in your new identity. Your identity is now a priest or a priestess. And so I think there are five contributing factors that go into our priesthood um, that I want to tackle. And, and we're going to be looking at these over the next five weeks. Here they are. We'll put them on the screen for you. Um, I worked really hard on this alliteration. Okay, so please be kind and gentle. Um, this is not normally me. I try not to do this because this is very pastory, but it's helpful. It's our posture. It's our position. It's our passion. It's our presence. And it's our proclamation. We're going to be spending time over the next several weeks through different um, communicators in our community to, to look at these different um, words. We're going to be talking about posture 
today. And my, again, I mentioned this last week. My hope is, is as we go over these words and as we talk about these, um, that, that you would be able to identify where you're at in these. That you would be like, oh man, like, yeah, like my posture seems to be pretty good, right? Like you'd, be, you'd actually have some self-awareness in here. You look at this and be like, wow, this is, that's, that's a growth area for me and my discipleship in Jesus. And so this is how we would approach this. And, and, and the idea, and I think if Jesus were to want something for our lives, he would want us to experience wholeness in every single one of these areas. We need the Holy Spirit's help in this. We can't do this ourselves. This is our aspiration as Jesus followers. Will we be perfect in all these areas before we die? No. But this is our mark. This is how we have a barometer on our growth. And are we moving towards Christ's likeness every day? We identify a weakness and we come and we confess and we repent and we allow Jesus to make us whole again and step into that. Are you with me on this? Thank you, Katie. About every three minutes, if you can just say yes. That's a culture I want here. So thank you so much. So posture. Um, when we're talking about posture, um, uh, what, what we're talking about um, is the way that we care, carry ourselves in the world in the day-to-day. Uh, metaphorically speaking, uh, do you, are you someone that like, naturally is someone that can like, stand tall in situations? Um, are you someone that, that carries yourself well? Um, are you someone that, 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 that like walks into a room and, and, and just by your presence in the room, um, just by your posture in the room, I mean, does it actually make that space come to life? Posture, posture really does matter. And I think there are a lot of contributing factors that go into our posture. Posture has to do with how you perceive yourself generally. That's a lot of times where, where it begins. Do you see yourself the way that Jesus sees you? Like, do you, do you know how much you're loved? Do you know how much you're called? Do you know how beautiful and unique you are that there's not another person in this world like you, so you're better off being yourself completely? Like, it all begins there. That enables me to, metaphorically and, I guess, physically, to be someone that stands tall through life and lives with confidence, that lives with, I have something to bring every single environment that I step into. I have something to bring to every relationship that I interact with. And so it's tied to our level of confidence, Confidence in who God has made you to be, not pride, right? We have to distinguish the difference between confidence and pride. Pride lives without God. Confidence, we live in God. We live in, with God. Um, and so, so it's believing that um, there are parts about yourself, if you have a hard time with this, it's believing that there are parts about yourself that you don't particularly like. And everything inside of you goes to the places that you don't like, the things that you wish were different about you. Um, image personality, uh, your salary, um, whatever, whatever it may be, like how you interact with people, just all kinds of things. Do you, are you someone that typically will first always go and you just kind of start your day wishing that there were things that were different about you? That will affect your posture in the world. Um, it's believing that you're unqualified or that you're overlooked, um, that nobody notices you for who you are. It feels like you kind of, People are ignoring you in some way. Um, and so, so 2 Timothy, we're going to look at, has a lot to say um, about our posture. Um, and we're going we're gonna to read that right now. So if you want to flip over um, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 15. Timothy is a great example um, for our posture. Um, if you don't know too much about Timothy, uh, he is someone 
that, uh, uh, that struggled with posture quite a bit. He is someone that uh, uh, needed a word of encouragement from Paul. And so if you're here and you're like, man, yeah, there's, there's things about myself that I'm believing. There are lies about myself that I'm believing. Um, there are things in my life that I feel like I just wish were different about me. Then some, Timothy is someone that you can relate with. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it'll be on the screen if you don't have it. This is what Paul says. Paul is Timothy's mentor. Be diligent to present yourself to God. I love that first line. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. I love Paul. He always is quick to give a personal example of somebody that uh, would be a perfect case study to say, you want to know what I'm talking about? Look at the people living right next to you. Look at the person sitting next to you in church. This is the kind of person I'm talking about. Paul holds no punches. Uh, and he says about these two men, they have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they're ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls in the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient instruction his his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leaving them the knowledge of truth. Okay, so what's what's going on here? Paul is coming back to um, a teaching, a conviction that he he regularly comes back to in his letters. He's actually echoing maybe a familiar passage that you know of in Romans chapter 12, where, where he says to the church in Romans to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Are you familiar with that passage? Then he says that when you offer yourself to God, this is your spiritual practice. This is actually what brings God glory. So be someone who regularly offers your life to God. This is worship, right? This is, this is the place that he wants us to live out of. And so when we talk about posture, yes, there's like, you know, a physical posture that I think God really does want us to live in, which is what Paul is speaking to in 2 Timothy that we'll come back to. But it's also a heart posture, right? I was debating, I'm like, hey, what, what avenue should I take in this message? Because we can talk about posture being one of worship right? That I live a life, my hands are open, and I'm just ready to respond and do whatever God calls us to do. I almost preached this message based on that, but then I spent some time in Timothy, and I'm like, no, I actually want to come to a more practical element of this posture, and really look at this as a way that I actually carry myself in the world. Because when we talk about posture being a place where I come to church, and I just receive, and I'm willing to take on whatever God calls me is great, but does that actually mean, how does that actually play out how I live this place, how I live it out outside of this place? Does that make sense? 
So, so as we talk about posture, understand it. Yes, I'm talking about worship. I'm talking about being someone who's hungry for God to move in your life and your heart's open to whatever that is. But there's also a physical response to it and how we interact with people and how we carry ourselves in the world. How we carry ourselves matters greatly. Posture is important. But posture, and it's fun from what Paul says because he knows he's talking to the church. And he knows that people have a tendency to think that it's important for me to carry myself in a certain way so that I look good or so that people like me, right? And so Paul draws a line. He wants us to remember, hey, your posture is not about your reputation. Your posture is all about God's reputation. It's about the way that you represent God to people. So when someone looks at you, you don't want them to say, this, if you're a Jesus follower, this is what you don't want to hear, okay? You, you're tracking with me. Mike, you're really great. You're a really gifted preacher. Man, you always have wisdom when, when we sit down over coffee. You're such a great husband. You are just amazing. That feels good to hear. But what Paul is saying, he wants someone to come up to me and be like, Mike, your preaching is so good. Every time you preach, you glorify God. God is made known through you. Jesus is being glorified through you. Jesus is the one that gets the glory, right? And so Paul is saying, live life through that, that avenue. Be great, but be great so that God gets glorified. Don't be great just so you get glorified. So he wants us to live with a conscious effort to recognize that my posture is not about me looking good or me being likable. It's a very dangerous uh, uh, fork in the road that we can easily get down, I think. And so here Paul, again, I mentioned, is the author of this letter, and he's writing to Timothy. Uh, Paul um, uh, uh, had spent a considerable amount of time with Timothy. They, they, Timothy was Paul's right-hand guy on missionary trips. And so he, he, he sat under the leadership of the pastorship and the authority of Paul for, for a significant amount of time. Um, and and, and as, as Timothy was kind of being groomed and had spent some time um, with Paul, Paul knew about a church that um, was in deep trouble. <laughs> a church that wasn't doing so great. A church... That, um, that, that had a lot of division, a church that gossiped, a church that had lost its way, a church that was way more focused on me being liked rather than the community being served in love. And so it took up a lot of individualistic attitudes. It talk, took, took up a lot of pride. And Paul knew that this church needed a new pastor, a new leader to come in to, to, to guide them back to Jesus. And, and so Paul placed Timothy in this church and ordained him as a pastor in this church um, because he believed in Timothy. He had spent time, they believe, when Timothy started in with Paul, he was 14 or 15 years old. And by the time that he writes the second letter, Timothy's almost now in his 40s. And so this is not like a quick, like, this is, Timothy has been at this community, he's been leading and pastoring for some, some time now. But considering the fact that Timothy was still in his early 40s, late 30s, early 40s, he was still looked at as a young person in this community. It was a church full of old people, probably. People that were stuck in their ways. People that have grew up and lived in this community. And they have this young, ambitious, passionate pastor who comes in and be like, we're going to do some new stuff. You've been a part of a church like that. Maybe the church you grew up in, if you grew up in church and there was an old pastor that was there, it was time they moved on and they, they voted in a new pastor. And he came in and wanted to shake up everything and ruffle all the feathers. And everyone was like, oh, this person's the worst. You know, he's getting rid of the youth ministry or he's bringing whatever, you know, he got rid of whatever it is. 
So, so Timothy was this guy in this community that was ruffling some feathers in Jesus' name. And by the time that Paul writes this letter, Timothy, Timothy was pretty beat up and just about done. He's discouraged. He's questioning why God even put me in this church. I'm constantly putting out fires. People are constantly talking bad about me. It feels like everything I try to do is met with resistance. And it's, he's lost his joy. He's believing the lie. He is not qualified anymore to lead this community. If there were things different about me, if I had a different personality, if I had more experience, then maybe they would listen to me. And so when Paul writes to Timothy, what is he doing? He's encouraging. He's not just encouraging in a way to like puff up Timothy's ego. He's encouraging to restill hope in him. He's encouraging to build hope and faith and give him peace and to let him know you are equipped for the work that God has called you to. You are qualified. Live in your new identity. Don't look, he says, don't let anybody look down on you. You have an audience of one. You know who your audience is? God. Don't believe the lie that you need to perform and live your life in a way that pleases your church or the people you're in community with. Know that your posture is meant to bring God glory and let me deal with the rest. Okay? So Paul here is encouraging Timothy to not sink to the level of his community. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of the, the, the church leadership books today would look at Timothy and be like, awful leader. It's the leader's fault that the church is this way, right? We have fancy sayings, so goes leader, so goes the church. <laughs> if you want to see the health of the church, look at the leader. Well, this kind of breaks down here because God has qualified Timothy to lead this church and so happens that this church is stubborn and fighting and unhealthy. And so uh, this, this has given me quite encouragement, not, just, not because I'm saying, look at me in this church, look at our church. Wow, no, like I'm saying like, wow, this, this actually gives us some, some confidence to know that, man, this is, this is all of us. The health of the church doesn't just fall on one person. It is the whole community that's at stake. If you want a healthy church, it must be filled with healthy people. People that want to grow in their relationship with God. And so, so, so Paul is telling Timothy, don't sink to that level. Don't think by you shouting a little louder than any, anybody else will solve anything. Nothing productive has ever come from a yelling match. God knows, Paul says here, and we just read it, God knows who's his. He knows the people that are hungry. He knows the people that have a heart of humility to come before him, and he knows those who aren't. So he's telling Timothy, don't worry about them. Focus on yourself. Know that you're called. Know that you're here for this moment. I have placed you here. I don't place you here by accident. Every place that you find yourself, Timothy, I've put you there. And he would say the same thing to us here. Anywhere that you are, I've placed you there for a reason. Don't think that where you are is a mistake. We can't live that way. We have to know that there's some intention to where God has pushed us. And so I want to give you a few different points here. Um, and it helps us kind of understand here. Um, uh, as we talk about posture, um, Paul, Paul gives three, three thoughts in regards to this as we look about the way that we live 
our lives. And I hope that this will be a good reminder. None of these will be new to you, um, but hopefully they'll be a good reminder and they'll help you live practically in your faith as we seek to be people that live in our new identity as priest or priestess and that we will be people who actually live with a great posture in this world. The first is this. He says, choose your words carefully. And we see this in verse 16 through 18. Paul begins by telling Timothy to pay close attention to how he carries himself through the words that come out of his mouth. And he uses the, 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 two, the two people that we talked about, Hymenius and, and, and Philetus, right? He says, pay close attention to their words. What do their words do in your community? He says, their words cause people to lose faith. Timothy, don't be someone where your words to others cause them to lose faith in Jesus. Be someone whose words instill faith. Be someone whose words bring life. And ultimately, our words sow seeds, right? We may think that like a fleeting comment that we don't think is a big deal. Something that kind of belittles somebody in the slightest way that they may even laugh about is actually sowing a seed. Our words, every word we say either sows a good seed or it sows a bad seed. No word that we say is wasted to any degree, right? It's either going to build somebody up or tear somebody down in one way or another. And so, so, so Paul is telling Timothy, don't, don't fall into the path. Don't think that like the way for you to get to people around you is to speak the way that they speak to others. You need to speak life. You need to speak the kingdom of God into them. That is the only thing. They can correct. And again, then Paul throws some shade at two people. And he says, you want to know what I'm talking about? Look at these two men. What were the words that they were saying? They're specifically denouncing the resurrection of Jesus. These are, these are followers of Jesus, we believe. That, that they spend their time in this church trying to talk people out of the resurrection. And this is what Paul says, the single most important event that's ever happened. In fact, Paul would say, and he did say it to us, and what we need to remember that is if the the resurrection never happened, then your faith is worthless. That what we do here is completely meaningless, right? These are words that Timothy would be preaching. These are things that he learned from Paul, and then he has two people sitting in his church being like, he's a liar. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. What would we do? This is a problem. We thought we had problems. This is a problem. And so Paul knows like, hey, I understand your frustration. I understand uh, that this is a problem for you that you want out. But don't let the words of those affect your words. Choose your words, Timothy, carefully. Be someone who speaks life. And this is not Paul saying that there's no room in the church to doubt. This isn't Paul saying that like, hey, you can't have questions about God. That's not what he's saying. But to the level to actually persuade people to walk away from Jesus, Paul is saying there's no room for that in the church. Yes, we need to confront that. Yes, we need to go after that, but out of love. So we need to choose our words in those moments carefully, right? Even when we correct or rebuke somebody, it should all be done in love. There's a loving way to go about it. And number two, in verse 21, He says, in my own words, I put it, don't beat yourself up over your past mistakes. Because we talk about posture. I don't know about you, but for me, 
I think something could really affect my posture in the world is past mistakes, is shame, is guilt over something. I live my life spiritually kind of punched over in this way because my past has completely dictated how I walk in my future. So it's important for us to recognize that if we're letting something, that a regret that we have, a mistake that we have, some shame that's been undealt with, that is, a very, that is a thing that can affect the way that we live today. And so Paul says, let the things that are old be put away. It doesn't matter if it happened five minutes ago. It's the past. So don't spend any time beating yourself up over past mistakes because if you do, then it will be very hard for you to actually live the way that Jesus wants you to live. It will be very hard for you to spiritually stand tall and live with confidence, recognizing that God has given you something to use, right? Why? Because our past mistakes have no power and authority over our lives. And I think this might be the most important thing that Paul has to say in this passage. Paul has to say to Timothy, and maybe it's the most important thing that any of us can take away. He says, don't ever come before God ashamed of yourself. Don't ever do that. Don't live your life thinking that your regrets or your mistakes uh, uh, diminish who God sees you to be. And don't let your past mistakes lead you down a rabbit trail thinking that if things were just different about me, or if I had this type of personality, or if I looked this certain way, would change anything. Don't, don't come before God dreading anything. Because God has made you new. God has washed you clean. Live in grace. God is all about restoration. Did you know that? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge restoration show nerd. I love shows all about restoration. Um, there's a new one that I'm watching on Discovery. It's about car restoration. Um, they're all the same at the end of the day, right? But what's so beautiful about restoration and what's so cool about it and what I love, whether it's a car, antique, is that anything can be restored. There are people that, like, can restore anything. And what I think is the coolest thing about the restoration process is that restoration is not about making something beautiful that was ugly. It's all about enhancing something that's always been beautiful. It's seeing the beauty in something and saying, Let's, 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 let's show its beauty. Let's enhance the beauty. It's not about taking something ugly and making it beautiful. It's about taking something that's always been beautiful and displaying its beauty in the world. This is, this is what Jesus has done for us. We are not loved because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross to show how loved you are. And this is the shift that so many of us have to take, right? Jesus died because he loves me. He didn't die so that he could love me. You are loved. You are beautiful. You are perfect. You are pure. You are unique. You are blameless. And the best way that Jesus could show how true that is was to die. That cost Jesus the most. That was the most sacrificial when it comes down to Paul, right? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That glorifies God. Jesus did that. Jesus paved the way for Paul to actually even say those words. So this is true for you. So I think, I think Paul, if he was writing to us, if this was our church, he would say, why are you spending your time believing anything different? Why are you believing that you're not loved? Why are you believing that your past mistakes do get in the way between you and me? 
Why do, you, why do you live thinking that your past mistakes keep you away from receiving good things from me and blessings and gifts? That's not true. That's a lie. Too many people are walking through life believing that they are not good enough. And so they spend way too much of their time beating themselves up and believing that if they were someone else, lived in a different place, or looked, had a different kind of family, had more money, then things would be better for themselves. And this is a lie that our culture speaks to us. We have everything that we need. And I really do worry for people generally, but I especially worry for Jesus followers who live this way, that live life wishing things were different so that they can then do or be. This, isn't, this is not what Jesus desires. He wants you to stand tall today and recognize that you have everything you need in Jesus. There is nothing more that you need to do what God has called you to. And if we don't choose to live in this way, right, we have to know that our souls will never be satisfied. That we'll always constantly find ourselves in this rut of just trying to survive the day. Of if I could just get through today. That's no place. For, for followers of Jesus, the spirit of God lives in you. And Jesus wants to call you beyond that. He has more for you. So our posture really does matter. And it really does affect those around us, doesn't it? What the, the posture that I live with will affect Nathan. Spend some time with me, right? The way that I live my life, the way that I see myself, the way that I carry myself in the world will affect every single person that does life with me. Which leads me to my last point. Attitude makes the difference. I never preached a message on attitude. I almost spent the whole time doing this, but I was like, I don't want to sound like a dad to my kids. Have a better attitude, Cyrus. But this, the Bible teaches this. The, Bi the Bible does teach that attitude really does matter. Attitude is everything. And this is what, this is what he gets to in verse 24. And, you know, do you, do you know someone who just is grumpy all the time? Do you know someone who you would be like, yeah, you just have a sour attitude? Are those people fun to be around? Do you want to spend time with people like that? that just kill the vibes everywhere? That is a Debbie Downer everywhere? No, I don't think we want to spend time with those people, right? Like, we want to spend time with someone who's just the opposite. They live life with a good attitude. They don't get thrown easily by life. They're resilient. They're optimistic. They're emotionally and physically healthy. And they are able to have a good attitude about everything. And this, by the way, this, this will be easier for some. There's personality types that are just there, right? That's not my personality. I am I'm a natural, um, um, I, I see the glass half full. I'm a pessimist. That's naturally the way that my brain is wired, but I don't live there, right? I, I actually have to force myself to see things differently, to have a new perspective in something. Instead of asking myself what's wrong or what's broken or what's God not doing, now what is God doing? What is good? You see what I'm saying? This is, this is grounds for all of us. It doesn't matter if it's easy for you or hard. The Bible actually calls us to live life with a positive attitude, to be kind, to be gentle, to be loving, to be sincere, to call out the good, to speak against the bad. And there has to be a shift inside all of us. And as Jesus followers, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I would have a very hard time being the salt of the earth and the light of the world if I had a bad attitude everywhere I went. 
That, my friends, is not contagious. That, my friends, is not compelling to the world. Can you imagine a world full of Jesus followers who were grumpy? Maybe we have them. Right? Or judgmental. Maybe we have them. But Jesus says, there's a better way. Live life with a positive attitude. Carry yourself in that way that when someone walks in the room, whether it's in your house or when you walk into the room, you bring life there. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. I was talking, I'm going to throw you, out of, you know, Amir right here. Amir, I, 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 I love this about you. I'm serious. Like the way that you carry yourself, your posture, your attitude. I know, I know, I know, I know Amir enough right now to be like, he's already disqualifying all the other things about himself. He's like, no, you, if, if you only knew. But Amir, you in your most pure form, the joy that, I, can we all, we would agree with this, right? When, when you walk into a room that Amir is in, what happens? He makes that room better. Amir is intentionally, he walks up to people and speaks life. Hey, I see God doing this in you. Hey, just know how much you're loved. Amir has done this for me the last almost 10 years I've known Amir. This is who he is. Amir embodies that posture. And for our community, that's who we need to be. So when you see that quality in somebody, instead of just being like, oh, that's just Amir, good for him. How does that actually challenge me? How can I actually step into that a little bit? How can I be a person that has that same effect on people? That no matter where I show up, it makes a real difference. And people are happy to see me because I bring life into a room. Are you following me? I'll close with this and bring the team up. Um, I was watching a 30 for 30 not too long ago about Dennis Rodman. I don't recommend watching it. I have to say that. I've gotten in trouble being like, you guys got to see this stuff. And like people go watch it and be like, dude, this is like not, you should not watch this because it's a, it's a 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman and about his life. Um, you know, Dennis Rodman is an interesting person. I mean, if you grew up in Orange County, you've seen him in places. I've been my whole life. And he's, I think he's still one of the top 10 most recognizable faces in the world. Dennis Rodman. And this documentary follows him as a kid all the way to his like rise and then all the way to like, the pitfalls of his life, interviewing his family, his kids, and everything. And the through line, and Dennis Rodman says this himself in, in, this, in this 30 for 30. He says, I, I, I live my life just wanting to be liked. Like, that's, that's all. Like, and he had bodyguards. He's had his friends be in places where he would just be giving, he'd be paying people to hang out with him. Just to have a posse of people. And he's and they, like, they said, you, you know, these people are just hanging out with you because you give them money. He's like, I don't care. I just feels good to be liked. And, and he says, this is all life he knows. Like, so he lives with the posture and he walks through life. He's still doing it just to be liked by people. And there's not much more going on there for him. And I'm like, I felt awful for him, but I'm like, I don't think Dennis Rodman's the only person that lives this way. He's the most famous person that maybe lives that way. But how true is this for, 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 for maybe somebody in this room? That your, your, every motivation you have, um, everything inside of you just wants to be accepted, just wants to be liked by somebody, whether it's people in this church, whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend, whether it's your boss. And I think Jesus wants to speak against that this morning. And, and realign our posture. Are we standing tall to be approved by people? Or are we standing tall to be um, knowing that we're approved by God and that my life is to bring God glory, not to be 
liked by other people. Does that make sense? And so as we, as we go into worship, I know maybe that's not for everybody in here, but I've, I've got to believe it's for somebody. And I want to encourage you, as your posture, um, as we live in our holy priesthood, to recognize that we stand tall spiritually, that we can live with confidence in the way that we carry ourselves because God gets the glory through me. And that is your best version. That is your best self. That is your best gift you can give the world. Would you stand with me? And we'll pray. And we'll do a couple songs, and then Casey will come up and do offerings. Man, what a buzzkill that was. <laughs> this is a joke because I always forget to do offering. All right. um, you can't ever say that I'm the pastor that just asked for money. I forget to ask for money. It's a telling sign. I don't know. Um, let, let me pray for you. If you feel like, man, this is a word for you, if you feel like, yeah, you're speaking to me and I, I'm living my life with the wrong motivations, um, and I just want to um, live of my life with a posture that brings God glory and not other people, Lord, I just pray for that person in this room this morning. My heart breaks for them, Lord. It's an exhausting place to be wishing maybe there were things different and trying to get that affirmation for the wrong reasons. God, I just pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would instill wholeness into that person, into me, Lord. Would you write our perspective? Would you breathe confidence to know that we are perfect the way that we are? There's nothing wrong with us that you see us as worthy. You see us as chosen. You see us as holy and that we can get on with our lives knowing that we are perfect in your eyes. And so I just even pray over our posture as we worship you, recognizing that if our posture isn't one of humility in these moments, it'll be very difficult to live with confidence outside of this place. And so, Lord, I pray that, that as we worship you, that our posture would be pleasing to you. Heart, mind, soul, actions, words, deeds, that you would be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.